Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Hi, welcome to the show. Um, today we have Dr. Catherine Athens, and she is going to talk to us about suicide today because, well, September is Suicide Awareness Month, and we wanted to shed some light on the very sad topic. Uh, but Dr. Catherine Athens holds a doctorate degree in both clinical and health psychology, along with a master's degree in clinical community psychology. In addition, she's a certified trauma therapist and has been a licensed marriage and family therapist for more than 25 years. Dr. Catherine Athens is the author of numerous books, including The Heart Brain, which details how stress, anxiety, and worry can put you at an increased risk for disease and offers solutions for a more peaceful mind and healthy body. So welcome to the show, Dr. Athens. Thank you so very much. It's my pleasure to be with you and all of your followers and listeners and viewers. Thank you. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you being here. Um, I know this is a very sad topic, but I'm I'm hoping that we can not only shed some light on suicide, but mainly focus on the prevention part. And, and I think that's important is kind of shed some light on how we can support people who are feeling um, in a position where they feel suicide is their only option. Um, so suicide is a, a really challenging topic. And September is really Suicide Prevention Month with the intention of shedding some light on this really sad topic. So I would like to start off by maybe talking a little bit about why someone would even consider suicide as an option. And, and you're the expert in this area. So please tell us why someone would even consider taking their own life. Well, there are a number of reasons. One, people get into a funk where they feel they're worthless and no good. And the best thing would be to not be here. Uh, that happens a lot, I think, with maybe older adolescents, and then also older adults, maybe who've lost their job or uh, can't uh, had a divorce, a very bad divorce. So there are a number of reasons why people consider eliminating themselves. They're, it's not just one thing. It's a number of things. And we have to be very careful to look at the human being, people we know, to step back and say, you know, is something going on? Is there something different? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people who commit suicide barely show any signs at all. And that is very hard on the people who are around them. Because if someone commits suicide, a friend or relative, we say, well, why didn't I see it? Why didn't I stop it? and go through this whole self-blaming, uh, guilt-producing, you know, what's wrong with me? That, and really, I don't think we pay enough attention to each other. We're so busy working, running around, doing all the things we have to do, 
that we forget to have human interaction. And this is uh, one of my pet peeves with uh, the kinds of um, uh, devices we have and the kinds of things, um, Instagram and Facebook. I, I at one time was the teenage expert in the Silicon Valley and I had tons of teenagers as clients. And they would tell me, well, at school, I'm bullied and I'm demeaned. But when I come home, I'm on Facebook and I'm bullied and I'm demeaned. When my mother comes in my room, I'm so bullied and demeaned, I haven't done my homework. So I get it again and again and again. And excuse me, there's no place to hide. There's no place of safety. There's no place where I know I'm going to be able to have my own space. And think, and um, it, yes, and it's very, very, um, it's a sign of our times where we don't emphasize enough the human element and that people are important. And one of the most important things that people need, they did a study years ago on at factories and they said, well, what will motivate the worker to do better? And of course, everybody thought a raise will be the motivation, but it turned out that acknowledgement is the motivation. Really? We all, yes, we all as humans need to be acknowledged. And I'll give you another story. I was in the local market early one day, and there was a woman who was looking at something, and I had to walk in front of her. So I said, excuse me, I'm sorry. And then I went about in a different aisle and got what I needed to get. But she ran around and found me. And she said, I have to tell you something. I said, what is that? She said, you're the only person who has acknowledged my existence today. Oh, my. And I really need to thank you. Now, can you imagine what that's like? No, <laughs> I cannot. That's and a horrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling, and a lot of people who contemplate suicide feel like they're invisible. Nobody sees them. Nobody cares. So why should they care? You know, why should they exist? You so know, we all need something yeah. to get up to in the morning. But that woman really, her comment was so uh, stunning. To think, oh, my God, I acknowledged her, and that's what she needed today. Wow. Do you think this is the same? Do you think that it's changed? Life has changed since we've had social media come into our lives. Do you, do you think that social media has basically dehumanized us so that people can bully somebody online and not feel bad about it because maybe that person on the other side of the screen doesn't feel real to them? Oh, absolutely. It has made bad manners kind of the behavior of the day. People, we used to have good manners. And even in school, I remember being taught manners, even being graded on that. Oh, yeah. You know, and we were graded on how we treated others, if we cooperated, if we were enthusiastic, uh, if we were supportive. We're empathetic or compassionate, and now none of that goes on. 
I don't know why it doesn't go on, but it needs to go on because we need to learn at a very early age that other people are part of our world and they need to be acknowledged, <clears throat> pardon me, and considered. So there's this. Wow. Considered- you know, I, I, as you're talking about this, I was thinking back to a few years ago, I had a student, you know, he actually said to me, why do you care? Because yes. I, I really wanted to help him. And I told him, I said, because I share a planet with you and it makes me feel better when the people around me are happier, when the people around me feel acknowledged and, and, and are running around getting their needs met. He was shocked. And I'm wondering if that's the norm these days where nobody expects anything from anybody else. Whereas I think we should have expectations of people being polite to us, acknowledging our presence and things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I I call social media the antisocial, the biggest antisocial problem we have because of that very thing. We can Mm -hmm. say whatever we want. And think we can get away with it and it doesn't matter because we don't have any um, we don't have any need to consider the person. Right. We consider the person a non-entity. <clears throat> and this is a very dangerous thing because when people are non-entities, then we can do whatever we want to them because it doesn't really matter. They're not really human and when people feel suicidal one feels inhuman not human not only not worthy but not even human so why should they exist and of course the brain gets into a whole different um, set of issues and we can talk a little bit about that where the chemistry of the brain is off. And one of my clients yesterday told me about his massage therapist who was depressed anyway, but his doctor switched him to Ambien as a sleep medication and the massage therapist committed suicide. Oh, wow. And he didn't know why he did that. Except when the ambient came along, it pushed him over the edge. Now, we have to be very careful with medications. And I'm sorry to say that most doctors aren't careful in having checks to make sure things are going well. Our whole mental health system is very shoddy. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't spend money on training people, which we need to do, or on having more clinics for people to go to. I know we had spoken about what do you do if you're feeling suicidal? Right. You know, you have hotline numbers, but also go to your local hospital, go in and say, I'm feeling suicidal up here Mm -hmm. or call and say, I need help now. Right. You know, it's really important because a few seconds, a few minutes can make all the difference. So social media has driven people to think, oh, 
I have, I have all these friends online. I said, yeah, but what friends come to your house? You know, do you have tea right. with them or lunch with them? Do you share your secrets with them? Do you confide in them? Do they confide in you? No. So they're not really friends. So well, that- I know when I was younger, we had a lot of social interactions. You know, I was always at a party or at someone's house or vice versa. They were at my house. I had the party. And I don't notice kids doing things like that these days. Like, and by kids, I mean like people in their, you know, teens, 20s, even 30s. I, I don't see people going out to dinner. I don't see people having people, others into their lives. It's going out to dinner. They always meet at a restaurant. They don't allow people into their lives. And I think it's hard for people to feel connected with somebody that they only see in a public forum. Well, absolutely. And for whatever reasons, we don't seem to invite people the way we used to. When I was growing up, the gang all hang, hung out at our house because right. we had the only pool on the street. It was different when there were other <laughs> pools. But my poor mother had to, you know, um, make sure about 15 kids were not going to kill themselves in the pool as we were. Yeah. But she probably also loved it because she knew you were all there and she could watch you. And it was, you know, it was a safety factor for her, even though she was responsible for more kids, she knew you were safe. And I think that makes a huge difference. I mean, as a parent, I think that's something that would be important to me. Absolutely. And I always had all the children over to my house. I had yeah, and get togethers all the time and invited everybody to come. Right. You know, I my husband taught all the little girls how to foxtrot, you know, which how cute. <laughs> they they really loved. Yeah. And, you know, so uh having more activities, going to the park, even having volleyball games, having soccer games, you know, all the kids are in soccer and it's very competitive and yeah, or any kind of sport. Yeah, any yeah. anything that gets you out of the house and gets you engaged mm-hmm. in something with others, I think is a great thing. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, what is, does suicide discriminate? You know, I was reading, um, while I was doing some research this morning, and I, I, I have to say, my first thought was that suicide was highest amongst, like, teenagers, you know, 18, 19, 20, or even 20 year olds. But when I read the information in, in 2020, it said 45,979 individuals died from a suicide attempt, but 1.2 million actually attempted suicide. But the highest number of people who were successful or attempted were middle-aged white men. So men actually have died almost 3.8 times more than women. So white men have the highest rate of suicide. That actually shocked me. Um, I wasn't expecting that. Um, can you maybe shed some light on why that is? Sure. It's, it's very surprising because I, you know, I think most of us think suicides are 19 to 21 year olds. Because really, that age group has a very difficult time. You know, suddenly mm-hmm. you're a teenager, then you're supposed to be an adult. 
which right and the coping skills aren't there yet and that's kind of where I was my thought process was they don't have the coping skills yet to deal with really difficult challenges well it's true and the brain hasn't fully developed now scientists are saying that the brain doesn't fully develop till maybe the age of 30 32 <laughs> so we don't have this thing in front our free prefrontal cortex which right. is our judgment center to say yeah, your temporal lobe is saying this, you know, impulsive, but no, let's cool it. No, we don't have that. What we have in these middle-aged men is probably, one, they didn't do what they wanted to do for their career. And I have a story about that with my daughter's boyfriend. Um, He graduated and his father said, because we live near Stanford University. He was mm-hmm. a musician and songwriter. So okay. I said, if you become an engineer, take engineering at Stanford, I'll buy you a Porsche. So the young man took engineering at Stanford, and I think he even went a fifth year. And when they had their fifth reunion, high school reunion, he came and told my daughter, that was the worst possible thing I could have done because I wasted five years of my life and now I'm going to go back and I'm going to make music again. Well, unfortunately, most people don't have that epiphany. Most men will go and they're supposed to be an engineer. They're supposed to be in IT, some kind of computer work. They don't really like it or They're supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer, whatever they are. And they have a lot of hatred every day and self-hatred because they're doing something that's against themselves. So I would say that would be probably the reason that that group might be most vulnerable. But again, I don't think it discriminates. I think all groups are vulnerable because we're all human and because this idea of doing something that's valuable is vital to all of us. We all want to contribute to society. And it's very, very important that we are allowed, given the chance to do that. And then once we do, that we're acknowledged for doing that as well. Right. Which that goes back to your story earlier, just having that acknowledgement. Yes. Yes. So it's, it's vital. And I would say, you know, if whoever is watching, do have a party at your house, invite people over, mm-hmm. start talking, get a subject, talk to each other. We used to have so many interactions. And of course, I being Greek, my parents had parties all the time. And of course, all the Greeks bring all the friends Plus the children, everybody's there. And the parents, the grandparents, yeah, the whole family's coming. The whole thing, talking, singing, interacting, talking politics, you know. Don't forget uh, the food. The food. Oh, no, no, the food. (laughs) Food is phenomenal, yes. Mm -hmm. So we have lost the art of interacting. Yes. Because of this device-driven society. And, and also anticipating, you know, I have a friend um, 
who needs something. I, I have uh, a client who had never been shopping with her mother and was going to a very important wedding of relatives she hadn't seen in a place she grew up in, in Illinois. And I said, I'll help you. I will help you because I had a mother that was probably the world's best shopper, you know, and she was very uh, illustrative and in her actions. So I learned a lot. And I had done a lot of reconnaissance for this person and made sure that their shopping adventure was going to be successful. This person told me she had never had anyone treat her as nicely as Aww. I treated her. Can you imagine? But, but what a nice gift you gave her. You let her see how she could be treated. So now when she goes out into the world, she has an expectation. Yes. Yes, yeah, she's different now. Yeah. She's different. She's mm-hmm. uh, throwing away her old ragged clothes and buying some new clothes. And and I think acts of kindness, you know, we had that saying, do rat, random acts of kindness are very important. Absolutely. Very important. I know that many times I go over the bridge and I'd pay the bridge tolls for three or four people in back yeah. of me just for fun. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. And, you know, make some. And then, and then they talk about you all day. Right. That really nice lady paid for my toll today. Or, you know, in Arizona, when, when I lived in Arizona, a lot of people used to pay for coffee. So if I'd go to Starbucks, um, especially driving through with my kids, you know, I've got like a $40 Starbucks bill. And I'd be driving through and the, the lady would say, oh, the gentleman in front of you paid for today. You know what? It just made my day it, it's, or even my week. That whole day, I would be talking about how wonderful that is. So the next time I would go, I would pay for maybe the person behind me. Sure. And it was just these random little acts of kindness that make you feel acknowledged. And that is what it was all about. Yes. And those are good anti-suicide tools. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So w- what happens to a family? How how does a family deal uh, with life when a, a, an individual in their family is successful with a suicide attempt? What does the aftermath look like? Because well, I don't think someone who's committing suicide thinks about this. We, we talked about this earlier. So if they're not thinking about what they're leaving behind, how does that, how does that impact the family? Well, in a very horrible way, everyone feels guilty. Everyone feels like they didn't do their job. Uh, so everyone is blaming themselves. Right. Then families will turn on each other saying, well, you didn't do your job or you didn't talk to him or you didn't talk to her or you did this, this mean thing, or you did right. this. And it creates a cesspool of horrific feelings that doesn't go away, okay? This doesn't go away. If your child or someone close to you has committed suicide, you will never forget that. You will always think about that. And, you know, at night when you're trying to go to sleep, what pops up? Why didn't I do this? Or why I should have done that? or so it's a horrific. All the regrets. 
Yes. Yes. And it, it it's a permanent thing. I mean, that's uh, having especially a child commit suicide mm-hmm. uh, is something that will ruin a parent's life until they die. That's it. It's horrific. Or anyone close to you. It's an awful, awful thing. I know when I was in college in student government, we had uh, a man who was sort of an outcast. People didn't like him. We tried, my boyfriend and I tried to be friendly to him, but people would ridicule him, make fun of him. Well, one day he went, I don't know where, at the top of the mountain and just walked off the mountain. Oh, that's just heartbreaking. It was horrific. It it was my boyfriend just cried and cried because he said, I should have seen it coming. I should have done something. I should have been more sensitive. And he was probably the most sensitive person I'd ever met right. and caring about this man, mm. you know, and we just didn't have that kind of influence that we could have had. I mean, you know, unfortunately, we couldn't go to his parents and say, you know, your son's very depressed. He really right. needs to go to therapy. He needs some antidepressant. Because what happens when you do that? Parents go, get away from me. What are you talking about? Yeah, you know, you're overstepping. You're not overstepping. You're not yeah. in your lane. Right. You mind your own business. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And Unfortunately, that kind of thinking allows the kind of happening to this man that happened, that where he found a lone mountain and just walked off and died. And, you know, so I think we're getting to a place now because it's being advertised on television, even you're not alone, ask for help. If things aren't going well, there is help available to you. Mm-hmm. And, and that people are going, wait a moment. Uh, I know that some woman, uh, I guess she had a bike accident the other day. Mm-hmm. And I saw five people around her trying to help her. And I called 911. They said, no, no, they had already done that. But they got involved. And I yes. think more people now are starting to get involved again because we went through that period where people wouldn't be involved at all. Well, with COVID, nobody was going to touch you. No one's going to even look at you, <laughs> let alone speak to you and be kind. And I think w- during COVID with people wearing the masks, it was hard to be interactive. But I think now that you know we're not wearing masks anymore, I think people are starting to interact more with each other. And I think that is, is important. It's a, it's a, it's a game changer in my opinion. I, I agree with you 100%. And I was never a, a proponent of masks. Me either. <laughs> no, for many, many reasons, but yes, we have to, we live on one earth with yeah. one atmosphere. People don't understand that yeah. we're encapsulated here. With one atmosphere, it's not we have several atmospheres, it's one, and things move around in our atmosphere. I agree with you 100%. We are getting ready to take a break. Would you like to share your information on how somebody could contact you if they'd like to? 
Sure, absolutely. I'm Dr. Catherine Athens. You can even call me. My phone number at the office is 650-948-1796. I'll say it again, 650-948-1796. You can email me at Catherine Athens. PhD at yahoo.com and it's spelled C A T H E R I N E A T H A N S, not E N S, A N S, P is in Paul, H is in Harry, D is in Doc, uh, at yahoo.com. So Thank please, you. please. Yeah. Thank you so much. And if you're looking to get in touch with me, you can go to executive function coach az.com. You can subscribe to our upcoming magazine. Executive Function Magazine. You can uh, make sure that you uh, click on the email that you get so that you can actually be fully subscribed. Our next issue comes out October 10th. And if you'd like to get in touch with me for coaching, uh, you can call me at 480-648-1122, or you can connect with me through our website. Once again, that's Executive Function Coach AZ. And I'd like to thank all of our listeners, especially those in Asia and Africa. Um, without you, this would not be possible. And, and, and also our European listeners. So thank you so much. Without you, this would not be possible. We'll be back after this messages. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Bozzi Acosti is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Bozzi works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fazia, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fozzie Acosti or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at executive function coach az.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Hi, welcome back. I'm Fazia Costi, and today we are talking to Dr. Catherine Athens. Um, welcome back, Dr. Athens. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be with all of you today. Yeah. I, I appreciate you coming onto the show, especially to talk about a pretty sad topic, but I think we're going to turn it around a little bit and hopefully make it less sad. Um, what I'd like to talk a little bit about is uh, 
you know, what, what kind of support we can offer individuals who maybe are thinking about suicide or who have attempted suicide or even family members who've had somebody who has actually committed suicide. What kind of um, support systems are out there? How can we support those individuals? There are a lot of support systems. There are a lot of groups people can join. There are people, there are suicide hotlines. Uh, a lot of therapy addresses this issue. But as friends, you know, we used to have that kind of therapy where students would help other students. You know, if you find that your friend or someone is really speaking in very negative ways and very self-deprecating, stop and say, gee, you know, I'd like to spend some time with you. This must feel really horrible. So reflect what they're feeling back to them. Don't be judgmental and don't deny their feelings. You know, people say, oh, you don't feel that way. Oh, you can't. No, you do. You feel what you feel. Yeah. There's no right or wrong feelings. I like the fact that you said any, because any, it gives, it empowers people to say, I can help somebody else. Exactly. That everybody doesn't have to go directly to a therapist or a professional that, you know, specializes in somebody who is feeling suicidal. We don't necessarily have to always take that big step. It can be empowering for a friend to help you. Absolutely. And, and it starts with friends, it starts with people, you know, or, and, and to really pay attention, what's going on, what's happening. Um, notice the changes mm -hmm. in those friends and ask about them, you know, and say, I really care. I really want to know. I really care. Well, I think it also goes back to spending time with people and getting to know who they are, um, you know, at home, out and about, so that when there is a change, you actually notice it. It's hard to notice a change if you really don't know somebody very well. Exactly. Exactly. Except if someone has a really bad look on their face, either they have indigestion <laughs> or, or something emotional is going on. Right. And I have been so uh, blunt as to talk to a stranger where I've said, it seems like you're not doing well. You know, can I support you? And either they'll say, oh, go away. And some other bad words we can't say on the, <laughs> you know, or they'll say, wow. Yeah. Can you sit down and talk to me for a few minutes? Right. You know, and, and those kinds of little interventions can save lives. Now, when we have, again, someone who I had a client that I knew was going to commit suicide, she had told me she wanted to commit suicide. It was late at night and she was drunk and she hung up on me. I immediately put my robe on and I drove to the office because she was staying with her dad. I called the police department in that city and I said, she is actively trying to commit suicide. You need to go now. Right. Well, the, and I said, I want to stay on the line with you guys. So they let me stay. And I said, they arrived at the house. The father wouldn't open the door. I said, break down the door. 
they finally started doing that. The father opened the door. They went up to her room. Again, the father wouldn't open the door. So they had to break the door down. My client was unconscious. They were able to revive her and bring her to the hospital. But what they told me is if they had been three to five minutes later, they wouldn't have been able to revive her. That's how close it came. Why did the father stand in the way so much? Well, that's a whole other, a whole other program. <laughs> okay. Just, okay. Let's just say yeah. he's probably not the most healthy person in the world. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that's very clear, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I was so angry. I was so angry at the person who, client who tried to commit suicide. I called her psychiatrist and we had a chat and then uh, she was able to call me early in the morning and say, well, I'm supposed to thank you, but I don't know if I should. (laughs) I said, well, uh, whether you should or not, don't you ever think about doing that again? I said, this is not okay. Do you know how many people care about you? She didn't know that at the time she was trying to commit suicide. All she was thinking about is her miserable life and how much pain she was in. She wasn't even thinking about her dog. And I brought her dog up. I said, so what was he supposed to do if you weren't around? Right. And then I said to her, I said, you know, I said, that's really selfish of you. What do you mean that's selfish of me? I said, all you were thinking about was you and you forgot. Now, this is, um, I don't know if you watch Castle or not. No, I don't. This was one of the episodes where the actress was saying, you know, you have to think about the people who love you. And you have to think about the people who love you, that there are people who love you. And did that's that make a change? I mean, did that change her view on her perspective of committing suicide? Like, she it obviously did. thought that was the way to go. And okay. It did. Her psychiatrist told me, well, you know, she's going to try it again. I said, there's no way she's going to try it again. I can't go through this again, you know, because I really care about my clients. I love my clients and I want the best for them. So, no, she actually realized she was in the wrong business. She changed professions. She went back to school. Now, here's someone who was in her 50s and went back to school, went back and got her nursing from Johns Hopkins and became a nurse practitioner and is enjoying her life now. She has a good life where she's helping people. And she said it really is satisfying to her. Wow. So for her, it really was, she didn't love her life because she didn't like what she was doing. She didn't like what she was doing. She was a very, she is a very bright person. She was a business consultant and she was better than the men. And the men used to demean her and ridicule her. And they actually changed her sales results. So it would appear that she wasn't making her quota when she made over her quota. And they 
they did this a lot. I had to get her on disability because it affected her health so much. And so she had gone home to take care of her mother before her mother died. And she realized she really enjoyed, pardon me, taking care of another, her mom. She enjoyed that. So she said, I'm going to go become a nurse. And since she's been a nurse, a nurse practitioner, her life has been totally different. She was able to buy her, her own home. She's now has two really nice doggies and she's enjoying her work. Interesting. Helped a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that story. I think it really helps shed light on it for a lot of people because maybe there's a lot of people out there that have this, a similar situation where now they can say, well, what if I just change a few things? Maybe then I will be happy. And so maybe they can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. Well, that's true. And what's true, and I want to say this to everybody, no matter what age you are, if you want to go do something, do it. This is one life. This isn't a dress rehearsal. Uh, I had a girlfriend who decided at age 65, she wanted to go be a doctor. So she went to Stanford. They admitted her into their program. And by age 72, she was a doctor and she created all these wonderful mental health programs at the age of 72 for other people because she was willing to go back to school and say, hey, I didn't like what I was doing. This is what I want to do. So please go do it. No, I agree with you. I think there, there should not be a time limit on doing something that you enjoy. I want to talk a little bit about um, the myths about suicide. What are some of the myths that people encounter? And let's debunk those a little bit. Well, I think one of them is that people want to commit suicide. I've never met anybody who wanted to do it. They felt driven to it because they were desperate and didn't feel there was any way out. And I think this is a huge myth. And this lends itself to our conversation today. Yeah. About so it's not like do. they just wake up one day and say, mm, today I'm going to kill myself um, because I just really want to. No, it's it's this drive you're saying that yes. I, I've lost hope. I've lost my ability to be happy or nothing makes me happy or there's something external or maybe internal that's driving them. Yes, exactly. And another myth that you brought up is that teenagers are the ones who are the most apt to commit suicide. And when that's not true, mm-hmm. you know, it suicide hits everybody, every ethnic group, every color, shade, every gender it does. And it becomes uh, something that people do who are very unhappy with where they are in life and feel no way out. No way out is a huge factor in this. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. They, they really reach a point where they just have no other option. Yes. So we need to provide them another option. We need to say, wait right. a moment, I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you. So and on we- that note, let's talk a little bit about how we can support somebody um, 
maybe once they realize they are suicidal, do they go to therapy? Um, earlier, we had talked about you know talking to a friend, but what if what if they're lonely and they have no friends? What are their options? I absolutely recommend people if you're feeling suicidal, call the suicide hotlines. If you're religious, go talk to your rabbi or your priest or uh, and walk into the hospital. Say, I'm feeling suicidal. I need help. What help can you give me? And someone there will help you. If there's a clinic or a hospital near you, if you don't have your phone or if it's not charged, um, do that. It's really important. Okay. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of hotlines. I know we, um, before the show, we found a suicide hotline. That's uh, it's a new one. Um, and it's just three numbers, nine, eight, eight. So if you're feeling suicidal in the United States, you can call that. Um, and it's a national number and it's available 24 seven in both English and Spanish. So that's, that's a pretty easy one to remember. Nine, eight, eight. I think it's wonderful that we've done that. I think it is. It's easy to remember. It's uh, there's no toll for it. And there are trained people on the other end of that line who are uh, empathetic and compassionate and have good words and can evaluate and can can recommend, you know, resources in your Mm -hmm. area. Well, I think a lot of times people don't want to talk about how they're feeling if they're feeling suicidal. They don't want to talk about it because they already feel bad. And if they tell somebody they're suicidal, um, I mean, there's social stigmas. You know, there's something wrong with you if you feel suicidal. So, you know, now it it takes it from worse to even more troubling, doesn't it? Or am I off base here? Well, I think it used to be that way. I think we're coming out of this stigma, maybe partly one of the good things about the pandemic was that that stigma is is being erased. Good. So many people from the pandemic became suicidal because of lack of interaction with people. And, you know, the brain needs interaction. We are interactive animals. We maintained our race through the ages by our interaction. We are social beings. So it's Mm -hmm. very, very important to reestablish social ties. And I, I have my clients go and uh, work at the local food bank, or if they're men who like construction, go work at someplace like, um, the housing, making houses for others, doing things. Go volunteer to give of yourself. Now, why do I say that? You know, besides we all think that's a good thing to do. It actually stimulates the production of serotonin in your brain. And what is serotonin? It is the feel-good chemical that says I'm worthy because most of us, want to commit suicide when we lack serotonin and we have an imbalance, we have too much dopamine and we become out of touch with what's going on in the present. One of the ways to avoid suicidal thoughts 
is to spend time every hour breathing and grounding and being in the present. When you're in the present, the only thing you can feel is happy. It's usually when we're considering the past, then we're considering the future, and we come up with terrible things that we think, which are kind of phantasms. They're not true. <laughs> right? That's very true. You're you're correct on that. Yeah. Yeah. I I really want to thank you for coming on today and talking about a really difficult challenge that so many people have felt over the last couple of years, especially since COVID started. So thank you for that. Um, we have about nine minutes left, and I really want to shift gears a little bit and talk about your books. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I started writing books because I wanted to have, I had a charitable foundation and I wanted to have a school for children, but that didn't quite work out. So I had a foundation for single mothers or single fathers in order to offer help with rent or help with the medical procedures so people wouldn't be on the street. And part of that was I started writing a book that came from several lectures I did called Make Your Dreams Come True Now. And let me get that book here and you can see it. Make Your Dreams Come True Now. Yes. And it has everything you need to change yourself behavior. Uh, I think it's a wonderful book. I need to rewrite it and update it. But basically, it talks about awareness, becoming aware of yourself. What is you and what are your filters? What, what, you know, what, what filters you? um, Can you define what a filter is so that our listeners understand what we're talking about? Yes. A filter is something you learned that a behavior you learned or a value that you learn that has nothing to do with you. That's also negative. And so when you try to put yourself out, there's like a strainer there that strains part of you. And then also it keeps you isolated. So really becoming aware, no, that isn't me. That's something I learned and I'm not going to have that as me. I'm going to put that aside and really understand me. So make your dreams come true. Several people, I have wonderful people, Marianne Williamson and John Gray and Gerald Jampolsky endorse the book. And it's really a whole book on changing your whole life. Now, my clients have said, oh, Catherine, that's really a lot of work. And I don't know about that. So I started writing littler books. You see this little book and it won an award. It won the Best book for a cover award. And it's truth and consequences. Yeah. Truth okay. and consequences. I tried to get truth or consequences in New Mexico to sell the book. But anyway, truth grows with attention and love. Okay. Just thinking about that. Mm-hmm. So, what's true in you will grow with attention and love. And when you have truth, you have love. And when you have love, you don't want to kill yourself. You want to express yourself. You want to share. Absolutely. Right. So I think we have beautiful, we have beautiful uh, images in here. Absolutely. Really talks about discernment, learning what is true versus lies, learning that truth feels good. It 
truth does not hurt. Lies hurt. Yeah. Okay. Well, truth is a lot easier to deal with. You don't have to keep things in order. You just have to remember. <laughs> it's true. Truth nourishes. Lies yeah. sicken you. Truth yeah. is friendly. Lies. So it goes on and it's teaching you discernment. Who are you? How do you function in your world? How can you function better? And then recently, recently, we have about a minute left. So you had what, one or two more books? One more book. I have Love I Am, my most recent book. And there's a CD for all of us who still have CD players in the back, (laughs) Meditations. And I wrote this book because we don't love enough in our society. I agree with you on that. Yeah. So this book is all about love and quotes from people about love and how love changes your life and love of self is very important. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. So how can somebody get a copy of your books? Can you tell us your website, please? Sure. It's uh, either it's Catherine Athens, PhD.com. And it's my name, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-A-T-H-A-N-S-P-H-D.com. And the books are there. You can go to your local Barnes and Noble and order books from them. You can call me again. And, you know, so there are many ways to get the book. Yeah. And we'll place a banner on our website for you as well. So if anyone wants to get a copy of your book, they can go to your website through the banner. Thank Um, you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just really want to thank you so much for being on the show today, sharing your wealth of knowledge. Um, and sharing your books, you know, I, I think these are all wonderful ways to make life more beautiful and hopefully help people who are feeling down on themselves, um, hopefully help them feel a little bit better about life and maybe shift that direction so that you're not so sad or or you don't feel so hopeless or helpless and, and you can actually see a direction that's more positive. So um, thank you again. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And on that um, website, you can directly contact me through the Contact Us button. You can subscribe to our uh, magazine, which comes out October 10th. It's our fourth issue. Um, make sure you click on the email that you get so that you are on our list and um uh, October 10th, you'll get our, our next issue. So I'm really looking forward to um, sharing that with you all. And um, yeah, if you're looking to write for the magazine or you'd like to be uh, on the show, on the radio show, you can give us a call at 480-648-1122. And without you, this would not be possible. So we want to really thank you for for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.